0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 13. We begin in verse 10. We'll be looking at, the section is drake has already mentioned this morning we're going to be looking at a story of interaction it's a it's a simple story it was one ordinary day in one ordinary sabbath on inside of an ordinary synagogue and something happened that produced conflict have you found that the older you get the more you can pick up when things are becoming tense i i love peace Uh, Whenever I take the personality assessments, it it finds out that I I will avoid conflict to keep peace. I think that's human nature. We'd much rather get along than fight. But have you ever been in a situation where two people are about to go to conflict and you're in the room and you see it coming and they can't? Doesn't it drive you crazy? You're like, would one of you stop? Because the rest of us don't want to see this. This is what's taking place this particular day. When Jesus enters the synagogue as the Prince of Peace. Isn't it funny that one of the titles of Jesus is the Prince of Peace, yet the man had none of it his entire life? Most everything he said and most everything he did drew conflict. He told us this would happen. But he, he said that he came to bring peace into our world, to the personal souls of every person, a peace with God, and he did. That he would provide eternal peace in heaven forever with our Father, and he did. But his days on earth to bring us peace... We're full of conflict. In fact, one scholar said the Prince of Peace has generated more conflict than any other person who's ever lived. Why? Because Jesus told us that he came not to bring peace, but a sword. Well, which was it? Well, it was by the sword that he brought peace. By the truth. By the word. The church, throughout its entire history has been in conflict with the world. Not that we go pick a fight, but the world wants to fight against us because we have the audacity to say Jesus is the only way. And whenever Jesus showed himself as the only way, man didn't want to hear it. It's been said man doesn't want a truth to serve. Man wants a truth to serve us. And that's why there was so much conflict in the days of Jesus. One ordinary day, one ordinary town, In one ordinary synagogue, there was a conflict. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what Jesus went in conflict with. And so let me give you the context for the conflict. That's how we're going to start this morning. Uh, What I love about this church is a number of you will come up and say, I love the background history. I'm glad because I'm going to give it to you anyway. Because if we want to understand a passage of Scripture, we need to understand where it took place and what was going on that Luke decided that this story was significant enough to share with us. Let's begin in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and we'll pause there. Sometimes I I make assumptions that people know what these terms are, and we're going to assume today that you know nothing, and that'll make me look really smart if I start that you're really dumb, right? This is how this works. So let's talk about what is a synagogue. Well, a synagogue is not a temple, so make sure you separate those two. This, This is a cultural thing different than we Americans would be aware of, so let's get into Jesus' story and understand it the way it took place. The synagogue is not a temple. The synagogue was a meeting place. They were known as houses of instruction. Most every town or community had a synagogue, but there was only one temple, and that's distinct. The temple was where you went for the national ceremonies. It's where you went for the Day of Atonement and the great sacrifice. It's where you went for the Passover, and you went for these great celebrations. But when it wasn't a national celebration, you went to your local synagogue. The synagogue did not have one ruler. It was, it was led by a group of lay leaders, and they would appoint a synagogue ruler. And this person would be in charge. This person would have the right to oversee. Like at, in our congregation, we have these church fathers slash elders, and there is a group of nine men who sit with us as staff, and they shepherd us. They guide us. They protect this church. Uh, they, they hold to make sure that the teaching is proper and people are taken care of, and they do these things. Well, the synagogue would have had the same group of lay leaders, but they would have had one, the synagogue ruler, who would determine who would teach and who would explain the scriptures when they gathered. The synagogues actually happened, if you know your Bible history, when the Israelites were taken from their land into the Babylonian captivity, they could not go to the temple, obviously because there was no temple in Babylon. And so they began these little houses of instructions and they were allowed to do this, that they would gather together. It would be very much like a house church. And they would gather. And when they came back from the Babylonian captivity, they would establish these little houses of instructions wherever their people were. And this is very similar to what a local church is. That every community would have these houses of instruction to gather together. And this is where Jesus was in this particular day. And the ministry of Jesus caused conflicts in places like synagogues, Because he would come in with the truth, and the truth would upset what they've always done. Jesus would say, you think you're spiritually free, but you're actually still enslaved to sin. He said, you think that you're spiritually free, but you're actually in bondage to your own selfishness. And then we wonder why it caused conflict, right? Because when anybody tells us we're wrong, our first reaction is to prove we're not. And sometimes that digs an even deeper hole. But what I want you to know is whenever Jesus pointed out error... He never did it dismissively. I was studying and reading through the four Gospels this week. There was never a moment that Jesus showed someone that they were in error and left them with no hope. He never demeaned them. He never slammed their their person. He might have gone after their lack of character or their lack of honesty, but he always gave the element of hope. He was never dismissive by saying, I'm done with you. He offered them something. You see, the solution in the synagogue was to create what I'm going to refer to as their own Sabbath. It wasn't the Sabbath that God told them to take. They created their own Sabbath, and they created their own system of salvation. And if you simply did what they told you to do, then God would have to accept you. And Jesus had a problem with that. They had created this over and over, and they had made their Sabbath so hard to abide by that it restricted the freedom that the Sabbath should have given us. You see, the Sabbath is a day in which we rest in God, knowing that God is doing all the work, and we're okay letting him. But their Sabbath became this proof text for your value. And not only your value, but how much more valuable you were than the people around you. And Jesus had had enough. So with the context of that background, we can see why there was conflict. And you'll notice that there are three levels of conflict in this particular story, and I just want to walk you through those as a way of teaching it. The first is the conflict with error. Jesus confronts the problem that was taking place when he arrived. Verse 11, and there was a woman who had been there crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. That's a good day, isn't it? Now, you guys are real quiet this morning, so let's engage. That's, pre- that's a pretty good day. You walk into church, and there's a person in here who's been crippled for 18 years, and Jesus walks in and lays his hands on her and said, it's over, and she stands up, gets out of her wheelchair, and walks out. That's a pretty good time to end the service, isn't it? I mean, you'd think a preacher would be smart enough to go, well, we're done, thanks, see ya. But it doesn't happen that way. Indignant, 14. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Whoops. I think biblically you could call that guy an idiot. He just squashes the moment. This woman doesn't care what day it is, does she? Because it's healing day. She's going to look back on this day and say, oh no, I ruined the Sabbath. She's going to say, no, Jesus changed my life. And this man, the word indignant is interesting. He's furious because he's in charge of the synagogue, not this young uppity rabbi. And this is the problem. You see, what they hated about Jesus' message was that it overturned their efforts. You see, there are only two ways you can believe or there's only two ways that you believe you can come to God, right? Let's just talk about these for a moment. Either is on the merits of Jesus or on your own merits. The, the divine accomplishment, Jesus, or the human achievement, you and I. God does it all and I receive it, or I do it all and God receives it. And if we can talk this morning, open and honest in church, let's do it. How many of us still, deep down inside, are trying to do enough for God to receive that He'll be pleased instead of receiving what God did in Jesus Christ to our own pleasure? But, Mark, we're Americans, we earn our way, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, or whatever that ridiculous statement means. We're going to prove to God that we were worth Jesus dying on the cross. You cannot prove at any level that you're worth Jesus. We can't. But are we able to prove that we'll receive Jesus? And that's what we're called to do, is to get over ourselves, to to not replace divine achievement with human accomplishment. And Jesus walked in and he saw this moment. You see, and here's what I want you to understand. Jesus will not remain silent when man dismisses divine achievement and relies on human achievement he will not remain silent. That's why he caused so much conflict. And it wasn't that he was saying, you're dumb. He was saying, it's insufficient. What you're trying to do will not work. You cannot please God by being better than you've been. You please God by loving him in the condition you're in and allowing the work of Jesus Christ to change you. That's why Jesus preached the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is anywhere God gets what God wants. That's the kingdom of God. You want to know, am I in the kingdom of God? Or are you giving God what he wants? And some people wig out right now. This is where people go, I never can make God happy because I'm imperfect. You don't understand God, do you? See Jesus and you'll understand God. Did Jesus ever demean a person for giving their best even though it was pretty awkward? Never. Did Jesus ever throw anybody out because they weren't good enough? No, the problem Jesus had with man is when man thought they were good enough and God should accept whatever they give. Now Jesus said, no, he gave me to you except that. And really that had nothing to do with you and I except how much he loved us. Jesus invited us into the kingdom of God by revealing I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the best way to enter in the kingdom of heaven is to realize you're not in it. You're not serving it. You're not honoring it. You're not living your life for it. Because the kingdom of God is wherever God gets what God wants. And when God gets what God wants, man gets what man needs. It's not a thing like God gets it all. You know, I think it was funny when I was, would have dinner with my grandparents when I was a little kid. My grandfather was a wonderfully funny man. But he never let you know. He had the best poker face in the entire world. And one time my grandma had made this uh, blackberry pie. And I was waiting all day. I'm going to tell you how much I wanted that blackberry pie. I actually ate peas that night at dinner so there'd be no argument about whether I got dessert. That's how committed I was to this agenda. And the pie came out and my my grandma had pulled it out of the oven about an hour before we sat down to eat it so it was still warm. And she cut into that blackberry pie and she cut this big, big piece. And she put it on a plate and she started toward the table to give it to her favorite grandson named Mark. And as I reached for that My grandfather cleared his throat and he said to my grandmother, "Uh, that's mine, isn't it? And my grandmother was startled and she's like, uh, and he said, yes, the biggest piece goes to the man of the house. And he took that piece from me and sat it in front of himself. And I was devastated because I had calculated that was the biggest possible piece you could get out of that pie unless grandma gave me the rest. And we were sitting there in this great moment. And my grandfather sat down, he mixed his coffee, and he put his cream in, and he was sitting there enjoying the peace, and then he smiled at me, he winked, he slid it across and traded pieces with me. I love that man. (laughs) I love that man. But if I may, that moment at my grandparents' kitchen table was the kingdom. It was a moment that Jesus deserved the best and gave me his best, and he took a lesser place So that I could understand how valued I was. My grandfather showed me my value. My God showed me my value. Should I think I earned that piece of pie? Or should I just say what? Thank you. The kingdom of heaven is where God gets what God wants. And when God gets what God wants, then man will get what man needs. And then when you get what you need, you'll find out it's what you wanted. This is why Jesus confronts the error he found no satisfaction in their Sabbath ceremonies because their Sabbath ceremonies did not lift up the goodness of God and the rest of God. It lifted up the goodness of their own method. And it lifted them up above one another. And remember, Jesus will not keep silent when we trade divine accomplishment for our own achievements. Then there was a conflict with Satan. This is very subtle. In fact, Luke being a physician, it's interesting to me what he doesn't say. In verse 16, it says, Satan was bound, had bound her for 18 long years. And that's all Luke says. Now, do you remember that Luke is a doctor? He's a physician. So when he records her physical condition, Luke normally gives more details than Matthew, Mark, and John do. But Luke doesn't mention what her condition was, except that it was demonic in some way. And that's all he says. Because he's really not worried about the pathology. He's he's focused on the power. And he said, this woman had been by a demon. We don't know why or how, but Jesus saw her condition. He called her over. Now remember, this is in a synagogue. Women didn't have roles in the synagogue. She probably, for 18 years, she attended and worshipped there. But she was never really connected. And the synagogue ruler did not care about her at all. And we know that by his reaction. Instead of saying, Ethel, congratulations. He's like, really, Ethel? Today? Which is a horrible response to a person finding the grace of Christ. He called her out of the shadows. But notice that she didn't ask to be healed. Notice that there was no request made. Jesus saw her need and he met her need. He called her out of the shadows. We don't know if she became a true believer in Jesus that day. I'm going to guess she did. We don't know. He healed people sometimes who had faith, and sometimes he healed people who didn't. He healed people who asked for it, and sometimes he healed those who didn't. He healed people he was looking at, and sometimes a lady reaches under in a crowd and grabs just the hem of his garment, and she's healed. healed. He had power over physical illness and the realm of the demons. He laid his hands on her as a touch of compassion. Immediately she stood up, and she began, Drake said so well, glorifying God. When the pie was exchanged, she said, Thank you. Because she didn't deserve it. And She began praising God, and this created the conflict. You see, the conflict was, God wouldn't want us to heal on the Sabbath. And this woman who was healed on the Sabbath began to think who? God. And this was the issue. Jesus exposed their error, and he exposes Satan's work. And fourthly, the conflict was with the unrepentant. This is why Jesus does what he does, because he will not remain silent when mankind changes divine achievement for human accomplishment. Verse 14. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Why would he have no compassion? Why would Jesus have to say, you will take care of your animals and give permission for people to give the basic needs to the animals, yet a human being is in need and you've decided by your own Sabbath rules, by your own human accomplishment, by your own desiring to be better than everybody else, you set a standard that will dismiss the value of a human being. You hypocrites. You say the Sabbath is for God when actually the Sabbath has been made for you. See, I think if we look down deep down inside, the reason the synagogue ruler, and I don't know this man, but the reason he had a problem with what Jesus did is Jesus showed who had real authority, and he found out he had none. Because he had the right to keep the Sabbath. He had the right to enforce the rules over the Sabbath. But the one who created the Sabbath said, you've misunderstood God. Now, I want to be very gentle with this because I know this can bring up a lot of bad feelings and we have to be very careful how we talk about the church even if the churches we've been a part of in the past including this one haven't been perfect. Remember, I'd be real careful about making fun of the bride of Christ because he never has. But have some of us realized that when we become self-centered on human achievement we can become more judgmental and rigorous and uncompassionate and unloving than at any other moment in our lives? Have you ever found out when you're right, you can most of the time be the most wrong in how you treat one another? This man bowed up at Jesus because Jesus neglected to honor his authority. How many churches are hurting people because the authority of the leadership becomes more important than the authority of Jesus Christ? and we've made our own Sabbaths, we've made our own rules, we've made our own standards. I believe real Christians don't do this, and that becomes our Sabbath. That becomes our new rule. And anybody who dare approach my standard of what a Christian ought to be is then dismissed and put away, and they've earned. Remember what we learned last week. They felt that this woman probably was broken for 18 years because she did something she shouldn't have done. And maybe she did. Did Jesus care? No, because Jesus realizes that every problem we have in our life is a result of the sin that we chose for ourselves. We do suffer, not because God made us. We suffer because of what we've done to ourselves and God's world. And this man struggled. What I think is really funny, and I don't know, this is I shared this with someone earlier this week, this is the one moment that made me happy when I realized it, and it would probably be met with a yawn by you guys. But what I think is funny is, how come you'd have a rule that no one could heal on the Sabbath when no one could heal anyway? Thank you. Isn't that a dumb rule? That's like me announcing from now on, no combs will be allowed in the worship center. There's a small bias there, isn't there? You see, what we have happened is they made a rule that no one could heal on the Sabbath as if any of them could, and then when the one who could showed up, they judged him for doing the right thing on the wrong day. Oh, church, may each one of us repent if we've ever placed a standard on another human being that Jesus did not ask of them himself. And if we have, please stop, so that others might understand the healing grace. You see, if you think miracles produce faith, They don't because this man saw a miracle and it didn't produce faith, it produced anger, indignation. You see, miracles may strengthen faith, but it's repentance that changes the heart. This man had an opportunity to respond to this moment and say, I've been wrong, I've been wrong. This is amazing and it can happen on any day of the week, but instead he said, no, I have to be right. And this is what I'm learning. When I have to be right, there's no room for Jesus to be more right. It's a challenge for all of us. Any deed of mercy was perfectly acceptable on the Sabbath, God's Sabbath. Any act of mercy. When you read your Old Testament, there was nothing prohibited from doing the right thing on, on the Sabbath. Any deed of mercy was acceptable. The Lord said, you're being a hypocrite. This is a this is, And I want you to notice several things. This is a human being. She's a Jew. She's a woman who's worshiped. She has everything that would make you draw to her compassion. She's been in pain. Verse 17, notice their response. When Jesus said this to them, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. There's two responses to Jesus, isn't there? It's the reason the Prince of Peace brings so much conflict. When he's right, it may mean we're wrong. And we'll either respond by being humiliated and angry that we're wrong, or we'll become repentant and begin to delight in all the good things that God's doing. Remember, when Jesus points out to me that I am wrong, he's not dismissing me. He's correcting me. He's guiding me. He's saying, you, Mark, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. So come through me. Humiliation or delight? Which will we choose today? See, I often have to ask myself when I prepare messages like this, okay, have I been actual to the text? Have I let the text win? Have I showed you what's in the text? And I hope today that the stewardship of my time and energy, I've been able to do that. But if I've told you this and you walk out of here going, well, that woman caught a break and that synagogue ruler was an idiot because preacher said he was. And people do that, don't they? And we don't apply it to ourselves. What have we gained? So how do you take this moment in time and the healing that Jesus provided? And how do you and I use it? Well, we either become humiliated at our attitude or we become delighted in what God is doing. And I hope you become delighted today. I hope for those of you that have never followed Jesus Christ that you'll see the goodness of Jesus and understand he's inviting you to come with him. He may point out to you every day of your life. He may point out to you that, Mark, there's things you got to work on. Mark, that attitude's not okay. And I can become humiliated or delighted. And I hope I become delighted, and I hope you do too. You see, this story happened, but it's also a wonderful analogy. Jesus will walk by the self-righteous to heal the hurting, the broken, the lonely, and those who desire it. He will pass by it, those that say and think they're good. He'll pass by those whose authority is the most important thing in their life. But the Lord will choose the lowest of the lows. You see, the hope we have is not in a God who's just right. Our hope is in a God who does the right thing for each of us. When we gather this evening for Advent, we're going to find out where our hope really is. It's in a God who came to the lowest of lows And lived his life with the people who didn't deserve him. He not only gave me the piece of pie, he gave us the whole pie. He said, I'll eat mine another day. There'll be another blackberry pie. And I'll eat it with you again in my kingdom. If that's not taking too much liberty with the scriptures, that's what my Jesus said. I will celebrate it in the great banquet. And he said, there's going to be so much pie. Go invite your friends. Invite them to come. Go invite those who hate pie. They'll love this. And go invite those who make their own pie and think it's better. They've never tasted anything like what I'm about to give them. You see, this is a metaphor and a truth. One who had been deemed to have been a sinner and has suffered such a fate, the Lord called and delivered. The Lord reached down in compassion. The Lord offered her an opportunity and it produced Praise. The difference between the synagogue ruler and the woman who was healed is what both of them did when they saw the authority and power of Jesus and they saw his compassion. One was humiliated and angered, and one was open and healed and changed. God offers Jesus to the outcast, to those that can't be self sufficient, to those who have no hope if Jesus doesn't change their story. Today, may we as a people be delighted in a God who loves us that much. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.